Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, Crosspoint, and good morning to those of you who are just joining us for the first time. We're so glad that you've uh, checked out our church community this morning as we gather together in worship. Uh, as you will likely have discovered, we are doing a series in the book of Romans. We've been in the book of Romans for quite a while now, and uh, today we are in Romans chapter 8. So let me encourage you to do a couple things. First of all, get yourself a Bible. I mean, if you have a digital version or a papal version handy, I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 8 and follow along with us this morning. Uh, also, you could go to our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes, and you can download a copy of the notes for today's uh, sermon so that you can follow along and track very easily with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, hey, George, thank you for reading for us this morning. You did a great job. As always, it's so good to hear your booming voice. And uh, yeah, thank you for doing that this morning. Hey, before I go any further, I want to talk to you about something that's happening on Saturday. It is the Beverly Cleanup. And uh, Beverly Cleanup is something that we initiated last year in partnership with some agencies in the community. We're doing it again this year, uh, and it's an opportunity for us as the people of God to partner with local community agencies uh, to do good in our community, to love our neighbors, and to do it in a very practical way, which means to go and to pick up garbage that's existing throughout our community. Uh, for us, as the people of God, it's a way that we demonstrate the gospel. Uh, it's one thing to declare the gospel, but it's also important that we demonstrate the gospel, that we are God with skin on, that we are demonstrating the love of Jesus in very practical ways to our neighbors and the people of this community. And listen, hey, God has put us in this community for a reason. This is an opportunity for us to be the people of God on mission in the world. So, cross point. I want to challenge you and I want to call you to join with us this coming Saturday for the Beverly Cleanup. There's two shifts that you could get involved in. One is from 9 o'clock till noon. The other one is from 1 o'clock until 4 o'clock. You just have to sign up for one of the shifts. Um, and when you show up uh, for the cleanup, we will give you a kit from Capital City Cleanup. We'll give you a map of places where you can go and participate in the cleanup. This is all going to be done in a very safe, socially distanced way where registration is going to be outside. Um, and then you will, with your household, will be deployed to a different part of uh, the neighborhood to go and to do some cleanup. And uh, it's a great way to get outside, right? Because we're all locked inside. This is a great way to get outside and to do good and to do justice in the community. So I hope you'll do that. How do you register? Beverlycleanup.com. So if you got a phone right now, now's your chance. Easy to do. Beverlycleanup.com. It's really easy registration. You just need to show up. And here's the thing. If you do participate, we also want to give you a bag lunch afterwards, a chance to have some munchables as you go uh, that you can take with you uh, after the cleanup. So please register for Beverly Cleanup. I'm going to be there. Our whole team's going to be there. Uh, I know a lot of you cross-pointers have already signed up, so it's a good chance to at least say hey uh, to the rest of the cross-point community. So, hey, I hope you will do that. BeverlyCleanup.com. All right. Let me start with a question this morning. Here's a question. Have you ever found change to be difficult? Maybe you've tried to break a stubborn habit. Uh, maybe you found yourself slipping back into old patterns. Uh, maybe you felt driven or anxious or compelled to do something you know you shouldn't be doing. Well, 
you're not alone. As it turns out, there are lots of people who find it very difficult to change. I might say most people. Uh, let me share some interesting stats with you this morning from a, a book that's called Be Excellent at Anything, and it, the author's name is Tony Schwartz. Great book, recommended read. But he talks about how difficult it is for people to change. Here's what he's discovered. 95% of those who lose weight on a diet regain it back again, and a significant percentage of those actually gain more weight than when they first began. That's encouraging. Um, even after a heart attack, only one of every seven patients makes any enduring changes around eating and exercise. 25% of people abandon their New Year's resolutions after one week. 60% of people abandon their New Year's resolutions after six months. The average person makes the same New Year's resolution 10 separate times without success. Change is hard. Doing the right thing is often hard. How about you? Have you found that change is difficult? Well, it turns out you're not alone. And to help illustrate this point, let's watch this together. Sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one. So then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really So it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? 
So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. Yeah, that is just great, the marshmallow test. You know, in the original marshmallow test, they actually did longitudinal studies of the uh, participants in the studies, and they found a strong correlation later in life uh, between their inability to exercise self-control and their inability to wait for the second marshmallow. Um, so it's not a prophecy, but, you know, what happens early in life sometimes is a predictor of the struggle is real. And I think for many of us, we can say, the struggle is real. We all face this inner tug of war, this pull between what you should do and what you want to do. And you know what? It happens in every season of life. It doesn't matter whether you're a child or whether you're an adult. So here's the question for you this morning. What is your marshmallow? What is it that you're battling over? And even more importantly, how's that going for you? How's the battle going? Well, as we dive into the first half of Romans chapter 8 this morning, there are so many topics that we could explore as we go through it, but unfortunately, we can't cover it all because of time. So I just like to talk about the battle that each and every one of us faces. And as it turns out, this is the fight of your life, and it's the fight that you cannot ignore. So let's get right into it. We're going to look at three facts about the fight of your life. Here's the first one. There's a battle. Ooh, amazing. And it's happening inside every believer in Christ. Sometimes it feels like just a little bit of a tussle. Sometimes it feels like an all-out war. But Paul talks about two forces, two powers that are at work within you. On the one hand, there's the flesh, and on the other hand, there is the spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever watched a boxing match or a UFC fight... Uh, they have what's called the tail of the tape at the beginning of each fight. This is where they kind of compare the statistics of each one of the fighters. Uh, the term comes from uh, when they used to use a tape measure to measure each one of the fighters. So they'd measure their weight and their, their arm length, their reach, and their height, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's the tail of the tape. Um, I want to do a tail of the tape for this battle this morning. So in the red corner, we have the flesh. In the blue corner, we have the Holy Spirit. What do we know about each one of these forces? Well, let's start with the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We know from Scripture that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit isn't a what, but the Holy Spirit is a who. He's a person. And being fully God, the Holy Spirit has infinite, unlimited power. So much power that he can break one of the greatest powers and forces in the world, the power of death that the Holy Spirit could raise Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from the dead. 
Now, this Holy Spirit also indwells every believer. He has made his home in our hearts. And Paul speaks about this almost as if it's a given in verse 9. He says, if in fact the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So he's not given a statement of doubt here. He's given a statement of certainty. And, and Paul actually makes this clear in lots of his other letters. One example is in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14. Let's look at what he says there. He says, uh, in him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us when we hear the gospel and when we put our complete trust in Christ. So when we, when we lean into Jesus Christ with complete, authentic faith, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And when that happens, we come alive. You're spiritually born again. Now just think about that. Let, let's just hit the pause button and think about that. That the God of the universe, the God who created everything with just the word of his mouth, has chosen to come and live inside of you through his Holy Spirit. It's mind-blowing to think that God has taken up residence inside each and every one of us. Now, the Spirit's will is perfectly aligned with Christ's will. This is why Paul, actually, in the text, you may have noticed, he calls him the Spirit of Christ. And this is why he refers to the Spirit as being Christ in you. The Spirit and Christ are completely on the same page because they're part of the same Godhead. And as a matter of fact, the Spirit was sent by Christ into the world, and the primary role of the Spirit while he's in the world is to turn the spotlight on Jesus Christ. So they work together at the same time. And their goal ultimately is not just to point us to Jesus, but to transform us into his image. All right, so that's the Holy Spirit. But on the other side of the ring, we have what's called the flesh. Now, what is that? What is the flesh? Well, the word flesh actually has different meanings in different parts of Scripture. And this is how most words work. Most words have different meanings in different contexts. For example, the word trunk can have different meanings. We could be talking about the trunk of a tree, the trunk of an elephant, the trunk of a car, right? But how do you know what the word means? Well, you know what the word means based on the context in which it's being used. Context ultimately determines meaning. So oftentimes in Scripture, the word flesh usually just means flesh and blood, physical body, okay? For example, John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul is using flesh in a very specific way. He is referring to human weakness. He's referring to that part of us that is, that is given to temptation, that's driven by pride or by selfishness. But it's a dominating, controlling sort of power at work in us. Now, I, just as an aside, I think it's really important that we make a point of clarity. Paul is not saying that the human body is evil. Actually, that would contradict the entire Scripture, because what does Scripture teach us about the human body? Well, the Scripture teaches us that God created everything, including our bodies. And when God saw all that he had created, he pronounced it good. In fact, he pr pronounced it to be very good. And we have to be very, very careful within the Christian uh, world that we don't slide into an old heresy known as Gnosticism. What did the Gnostics believe? Well, the Gnostics essentially believed that you could divide the world into two realms, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And the Gnostics also believed that everything in the spiritual realm is good, but everything in the physical realm is evil. And so the goal of life, ultimately, for the Gnostics is to 
get as far away as you can from the physical realm and get as close as you can to the spiritual realm. And we see all sorts of versions of this within Christianity. Let me give you some examples. When we say things like, all that matters is that we save people's souls, but we don't have to care for their physical needs. Or when we say things like, oh, I'm a very, very, very spiritual person, but I'm going to do whatever I want with my body. Or when we say that um, my goal in life is to, to escape this evil, wretched world and leave it to go and be spiritual with Jesus in heaven forever. Which is, in fact, a real contradiction of Scripture, because what do we learn at the end of Scripture in Revelation? What we learn is when Jesus comes back, we will live in a new physical heaven and earth, and we will be an embodied people in new resurrected physical bodies. So as believers in Christ, our future is always embodied, and our presence is always embodied, because God's creation is good. He created it to be good. So we have to be very, very careful that when we think about the flesh, we don't confuse it with the body. The flesh is, in fact, the sinful nature that is hijacking the body and the mind for evil purposes and wrong purposes. Okay, just wanted to clarify that. But here's what else Paul says. He says that the flesh is hostile to God. Now, that's really strong language, right? Them's, them's fighting words. I mean, there will never be an alliance between the flesh and the spirit. There's going to be no joining of hands. There's going to be no hugging it out, right? They're, they're not they're going to come to the table together and try and negotiate a truce. The flesh wants what it wants, and God wants what God wants. And because of this, Paul says, if you try and live by the flesh, you cannot please God. Never, ever, ever. In fact, chasing the flesh will ultimately lead to death. Because that's what the flesh does. In its very sinister way, the flesh actually seeks to sabotage, to destroy, to tear down, to choke out your victory, to kill your relationships. And ultimately, apart from Jesus Christ, the flesh will lead us to eternal death and lostness apart from God. And so this is really what this battle is all about. This is a battle for life. Look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Let's look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put the deed, death, the deeds of the body, you will what? You will live. The spirit wants to bring us into life. And by this, he means the abundant life that God created us for. We were created to know God. We were created to love God. We were created to be like God. And so the Holy Spirit wants to work in us to fix us, to restore us, to reverse the adverse effects of the fall, to transform us, to become like Jesus, so that we might experience the fullness of Christ, full of his life, bringing his life to a world in need. It's a fight for your life. And of course, the flesh wants to destroy all of this because it's the harbinger of death. Friends, the battle is real, and it is a battle for your life. But here's the good news. We're on the winning side. Now, clearly, this is not a battle that is between two equal powers. It's more like a fist fight between a toddler and Mike Tyson, or a showdown between a housefly and a nuclear warhead. See, Paul says this in the text. He says that God's law, the Torah, couldn't defeat sin. The law could count sin, but the law could not counter sin. And this wasn't a surprise to God. As a matter of fact, it was part of his plan all along. And it's what Paul has been saying up to this point, especially in Romans chapter 7. 
Sin was so powerful, sin was so pervasive that it could take a good thing like the law and turn it against us. And Israel's failure under the law revealed just how much we need Christ and the Holy Spirit to rescue us. So, through Jesus Christ, God has enacted a new law to supersede the old law. The new law is the law of the Spirit of life. And we read about this in in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, this new law, it brings with us advantages. As a matter of fact, it brings us two advantages uh, that work in our favor. And here's the thing. is If you're ever in a battle, you want to press your advantages. Well, let's look at each one of our advantages that we have under this new law of the Spirit. Here's the first one. Advantage number one is that Christ has defeated the power of sin. I mean, Paul has been telling us all throughout Romans at this point, and I hope we've, we've, we've got this by now, but he's been telling us that every human being on the planet has been born into sin. We're all descendants of Adam. So what was true of Adam has become true of us. And under Adam, the flesh is completely in control. We are bound by it, enslaved by it. But when Christ Jesus died on the cross, sin received its death wound. And, so those who are, uh, and for those who are in Christ, what became true of Jesus has also become true of us. So because of that, we are no longer slaves to sin. We died in Christ, and our old self died with him. And Paul talks about this again in verse 3. He keeps bringing it up again and again because it's really important. Here's what he says. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. This is the great reversal of the gospel. That instead of us being condemned, Jesus took our condemnation on the cross and then he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, does this mean that we no longer sin? Well, no, of course not. But what's different is that now we have the choice to turn away from sin. We can look at sin and we can say, I'm dead to that. And this is what Paul's getting to in verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So even though the, the, the flesh is a defeated enemy, the, the flesh is still kicking around. But it's a toothless dog with a big bark. It's a dethroned monarch traipsing around in his old robe. And it still tries to control you, but it doesn't have to. Because here's the thing. You are free from the power of sin. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Well, that's the first advantage. Here's the second one. Christ empowers us through his Spirit. See, the Spirit actually gives us the power then to overcome the flesh, to to fight back the defeated monarch. Again, it's not a tug of war between two equal powers. It's the God of the universe going toe-to-toe with your itty-bitty flesh. Let's look at what Paul writes in verse 12. He says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do we defeat the flesh? How do we live the victorious life? Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Real change is possible with God's help. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But here's the thing. It's not enough to be on the winning side. 
we must join the battle. The greatest way to guarantee failure in any confrontation is to simply do nothing. We as believers in Christ are called to engage in this battle. And there are two ways that we can do this that Paul talks about in the text. One is tuning and the other is trusting. What do I mean by tuning? Well, imagine that your mind is a radio with only two stations, and you have to choose which of those two stations you are going to tune into. Which one will you choose? See, Paul says that the center of the battlefield is the mind. It's where the fighting is the fiercest, and you need to choose a side when you're on that battlefield. Paul uses the phrase, set your mind. Let's look at verse 5. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul's saying this, we've got to tune our minds. So where will you set your mind? On the things of the flesh or on the things of the Spirit? See, your, your mind is the command center of your entire life. As a person thinks, so a person becomes. It is inevitable. It was inevitable for King David as he considered Bathsheba. It was inevitable for Eve as she pondered the hidden fruit. It was inevitable for Nehemiah who imagined walls being rebuilt. It was inevitable for Abraham who dreamed of the promises of God. As a person thinks, so a person becomes. So the question is, what is your mind focused on? Here's what I've learned. You cannot stop thinking about something but you can start thinking about something else. I've used this illustration before, but it's worth sharing twice. For example, think about the number eight. Isn't it a delightful number? One big fat circle on the bottom, a little circle on top, kind of looks a little bit like a snowman, minus the carrot, the buttons, and that top hat. That's a, that's a number eight. Think about the number eight. Can you, you got it in your mind? Okay. Now stop thinking about the number eight. Okay, just stop thinking about it. Okay? I'm not even going to remind you to stop thinking about the number eight, right? Because it's just easy. Stop thinking about the number eight. Is that out of your mind now? Have you stopped thinking about the number eight? No, it's not. Why? Because you can't stop thinking about the number eight. But let's try this. Start thinking about the number four. Oh, it's a great number. It's like there's a cross in the middle of it, and then it's got a little thing that goes up the side of it. It's all sticky, sticks, right? It's amazing how it stands. It's like a real estate sign on the side of the road, you know? Number four is awesome. Okay, have you stopped thinking about the number eight? You sure have. Why? Because you started to think about the number four. You cannot stop thinking about something, but you can start thinking about something else. So to stop setting your mind on the things of the flesh, you need to start setting your mind on the things of the spirit. There really is no nothing box, man. I know there's a great skit about that, but you're always kind of thinking about something. Maybe our biggest problem in our Christian faith is we simply lack holy imagination. So how can you tell the difference between what the Spirit wants and what the flesh wants? Well, Paul doesn't specifically spell it out here in Romans, but he does spell it out in another letter that he wrote to the Galatians. He breaks it down for us there, and he's very specific. Let's look at the the flesh in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Here's what it says. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Paul says that these works of the flesh are evidence. In other words, it's pretty obvious what's of the flesh. But I hope we'll leave that slide up there for just a moment. Take a look at that list and ask this question. How has the flesh been attacking you lately? What have you been setting your minds on? Well, then Paul continues, and he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Let's start at verse 22. Here's what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let me ask you, would you rather hang around to somebody with dead works of the flesh or somebody with living fruit of the Spirit? Who do you want to hang out with? Let's keep that slide up there again. And let's take a look at that list. How have you seen the Holy Spirit's life in, at live in you lately? What can you celebrate? You know, I, I've also learned that you, you can actually train your mind. That if you set your mind in a certain direction... Often enough, eventually your mind will move in that direction naturally. This is how you form habits. And the more you form habits, they will eventually transform into character and into virtue. This is why Paul would say later in, the letter, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12 and verse 2, he'll say, don't be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You'll notice two things about that. First of all, it's passive, and so you're being transformed. Second, though, it's, it, there's an activity, and it's because it's a commandment. It's something you have to participate in. Be transformed by the renewal of the, your mind. The mind can be renewed. It can be developed. It can be trained. You know, over the years, I've, I've had enough conversations with young men who tell me that they don't read. They don't like to read. They're not good at it. They, they have trouble focusing. Sometimes they're ashamed because they can't read very well. And here's what I tell them. I tell them this. Your brain is like a muscle. And like any other muscle in the body, it can be trained so that it's stronger and faster and longer lasting. You don't train for a marathon by waking up one morning and deciding to run 42 kilometers. You wake up one morning and you run 500 meters. And then the next day, you do 500 meters. And a few days later, you do one kilometer. And slowly and incrementally, you continue to grow and grow and grow into a better runner through slowly increasing it. You can also train your mind by reading a little bit each day and then doing it a little bit more and more. And I'm talking about things of substance like books or blogs, not tweets or posts, okay? But the more you read, the more you will train your mind. And there have been so many times where those young men that I've spoken to have come back to me and says, you know what, you're right. I, I, I can read, and I've been reading, and I actually enjoy reading. It's changed my mind. The point in all of this is just to say this. Don't sell yourself short. Don't believe the lie. God has given you a mind, and God is not a liar. You can train your mind. You can tune your mind. You can allow God to transform your mind. The question is, where will you set your mind? Well, in addition to tuning, there's also what's known as trusting. See, it's not enough just to set your mind on what the Spirit wants. You also need to trust in the Spirit's power to help you. That's why Paul says this in verse 10. He says, the Spirit is life. And then in verse 13, he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. So it's only through the Spirit's power 
that we can overcome the flesh. If you try and win this battle on your own, you will fail time and again. You know, when our, when our oldest daughter, Elisa, was in preschool, she used to say this little phrase that I think captures the human spirit. She used to say, all by myself. So I'd ask her, hey, Elisa, do you want to go to the bathroom? She says, I'm going all by myself. Oh, okay, well, okay, fine. Uh, Elisa, uh, can I help you with your shoelace? No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all by myself. Okay, she was very, very determined. Um, and it was very, very cute, of course, at the time. But you know, there are some things that Elisa could not do all by herself. She couldn't drive herself to school all by herself. She couldn't make supper on the barbecue all by herself. She couldn't enroll herself in kindergarten all by herself. And here's the thing is, is we are not much different. We've had the same, we have the same rugged, independent human spirit. And we want to try and beat the flesh all by myself. But the irony is, is that that's actually the flesh talking to us. Because that's what the flesh wants. The flesh wants to exist all by itself. The flesh wants to act independently of God. So if you try and do it all by yourself, you're essentially using the flesh to try and beat the flesh. And it is a guaranteed fail. It will fold like a house of cards. We need the Spirit's power if we are going to overcome the flesh. So maybe this morning you have found yourself kind of falling on your face spiritually. I mean, maybe you've been making the same mistakes again and again. Maybe your spiritual life has lost its vitality and its passion. Maybe for you, you've just kind of been going through the motions, kind of faking it until you make it. Could it be that you have disconnected yourself from God? Maybe you've stopped trusting the Holy Spirit for the power. Listen, if you want to be victorious in the battle of your life, you need to trust God. What does trust look like? Well, it looks like surrender. That's it. I think it's the best word for trust that I can come up with. Surrender. Because surrender says two things. Surrender says, God, I am yours. Surrender also says, God, I need you. We need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. So let me recap. There's a battle. And we're on the winning side. And we need to engage in this battle by tuning our minds and by trusting in the Holy Spirit to help us. And we can live victorious lives as believers in Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? Let's pray. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to reflect and pray. But as we reflect and pray, I want to ask you to consider this question. What have you been setting your mind on lately? How have you been setting your mind? Let's just take a couple minutes and, uh, and pray to God this morning.
Maybe for you this morning, there's an important moment where you need to change your mind. You need to turn away from the things of the flesh, confess those before God, and turn towards the things of the Spirit. Maybe your mind has been polluted and clogged and blocked by all this garbage that's in there. Maybe it's even begin to flow from the stream of your mind into your behavior, into your life. I think now is a great time for you to just give that over to God. To turn to him in mercy and repentance and say, God, I want to change. I ask you to forgive me for where my mind and my life has been going. And God, would you give me the strength and the power to walk in the freedom that I've received through Christ. Take a moment, put that in your own words. Thank you, Lord, that you are there with us in the fiery furnace. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us on the front lines of the battle. We thank you that we are not alone. We thank you that you have this opportunity to be in Christ as sons and not slaves, liberated in intimate relationship with you. And God, would you, just through your Holy Spirit, help us by your power, fill us, with your life, that we may walk in glad obedience before you and so become like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.